Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, be sure you go ahead and do so. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning, and they are full of animal training, dog and training, dog information, all kinds of good stuff and more. You're going to want to check it out. Hey, if you're an Apple Podcast subscriber and you like what you're hearing, do me a favor. If you have a second, click that five-star review. Let me know you like what you're hearing. Definitely helps the podcast grow. Today's podcast is fantastic. I am so excited, of course, because I'm going to reveal the DNA results of my puppy, Riker. Yes, the first segment today is what's in a dog? DNA testing. We're going to talk about that DNA testing experience that I had and, again, reveal what breeds that uh, Riker is mixed with. You know, I went on Instagram and I asked you guys to give me your input on what you thought it was, and I think you're going to be surprised. (laughs) Yes. Following that segment, we're going to have a segment called Bully Breeds. It's going to be talking about those different bully breeds and some of my thoughts on that. Then we'll have our Breed of the Week and the Listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the Listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going with the show, got to give you today's trivia question. And today's question is, what is the most common and most preventable health issue in dogs? Yes, what's the most common and most preventable health issue in dogs? I'll give you the answer to today's question somewhere in the show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, what's in a dog? Yeah, we're talking DNA testing today. So what's in your dog's DNA? It's a big question that's on everybody's mind lately because we have all these amazing at-home DNA testing kits, right? It's really cool stuff. And 20 years ago, if you wanted to know what your dog was and it was a mutt, You couldn't. I mean, you know, when I was growing up and I had friends that had dogs that they would go and adopt, it was a mutt. It was a mutt. There was nothing more to it than that. This is a mutt. We can go and we can speculate and guess. And but at the end of the day, they were mutts, you know, and that was all right. Um, But it's also all right that we know what is in our dog's DNA. And there's many different companies out there that offer these testing kits now. And really, it's not just fun to know, but it really can be great a great benefit to you and your dog, right? DNA doesn't just tell us the breed and the history of where your dog came from, but it can also tell us about genetic markers on a dog's health, maybe potential health issues that you're going to have to deal with down the road and ways that we can get ahead of that. So it's really cool that it's more than just knowing what the breed is. There are great benefits to it. And great benefits with research in in dogs as well. So I said last week, right? What did I say? I was going to reveal my new dog, Riker. We were going to reveal his DNA results. We sent away his DNA results to a company, of course. They they sent us back everything. And we now know more about Mr. or excuse me, Commander Riker. Now I'm going to tell you guys what his DNA results are in just a few minutes. <laughs> Keep you on the edge of your seats for just a little while longer. Uh, but first, what I want to talk about is visually assessing dogs and labeling them. Now, especially in the state of Florida, you walk into any shelter, guys, and you're going to see a lot of dogs that are labeled pit bull or pit bull mix or pit mix, right? Now, now first off, pit bull usually encompasses that term, right? That name. Pit bull usually encompasses many different breeds. The American pit bull terrier, the American Staffordshire Terrier, the Bull Terrier, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier. These are all breeds that end up falling under this pit bull 
label, okay? So saying Pitbull can be misleading. It can be. Now, there's a lot of advocates out there that do believe Pitbull, the Pitbull term, should only be used for the American uh, Pitbull Terrier. The American Pitbull Terrier is a specific breed, and that's where the term Pitbull, the name Pitbull, uh, should go to. And if you really do research on the breed and the other breeds, you know, the, all the other different breeds and the bully breeds out there, you know, I tend to agree with it that the American Pitbull Terrier, that term Pitbull, should probably really only be applied to them. Okay. But as we're going to learn more about today, you know, pit bulls are not really recognized, but not, not really. They're not recognized by the AKC. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. Okay. Um, so again, saying that term pit bull, unfortunately, can be misleading because over the years it has grown to encompass the bully breeds, if you will. Okay. So I want to talk about this study. There was a really cool study actually done by the University of Florida, Go Gators, uh, back in 2016. And look, in a nutshell, here, here's what they did. They had, they went to multiple different shelters. I think it was four, if I remember correctly, uh, four different shelters. And they had multiple staff members at these shelters label new dogs that were coming in. Okay. And they had them label them whatever they thought they were. There was no restrictions. There was no, it needs to be a pit bull type dog for the, no, here are these breeds, label them. Now, a lot of the staff members they used um, were, I mean, you could consider them experts. These are people that have been there for years and years and years, have seen countless hundreds, thousands of dogs come through the shelter, all different kinds of breeds come in and out, mixes, looks, all, you know, arguably they, they are more knowledgeable than most people out there. I mean, even myself, right? Um, I don't see nearly as many dogs coming through in and out, in and out, in and out like that, because obviously I see owners and then I have owners that work with me over years and with boarding and all kinds of, so I stick with dogs, right? I stick with a lot of dogs. And it's not to say I don't have um, a wide variety that I've worked with, but by no means could I ever match um, the amount of intake a shelter dog has, even a veterinarian, same thing, guys. Shelters are, are so, you know, overrun that again, the people who are there, the people who have been there many years, they could arguably be the experts on visually assessing dogs. Okay, so again, they had multiple staff members. I, it's funny, I said in a nutshell, and then <laughs> what am I doing going off here? All right, in a nutshell, the study had multiple staff members at the shelter label the dogs of what they thought they were. Then they would take DNA samples of these dogs. Of course, they would assess the DNA samples, and, and, and what they came to the conclusion of was really two things here. One, it is very difficult to assess a dog just based on looks to determine their breeds. Okay, and again, these are people who could be considered, and they determine it's incredibly difficult just to look at a dog and determine what they are. Second thing, the second interesting thing is that dogs are often mislabeled pit bull that have no pit bull in them at all. Guys, they found that up to 48% of the time, I mean, that's almost half, up to 48% of the time, dogs that have been labeled pit bull don't have a trace of pit bull DNA in them, not even bully breed. DNA in them. Okay. And we know what consequences that can come with, right? Unfortunately, pit bulls have a bad reputation. And if they label a dog a pit bull that doesn't even have an ounce of pit bull DNA in them, and someone's walking through the shelter wanting to get a dog and they don't like pit bulls and they see the word pit bull, they're going to be turned off and not adopt that dog. And that poor dog is the one who suffers in the end, isn't it? Now, guys, I'm not I'm not anti-pitbull. I'm not. Um, I am not for people getting breeds that they shouldn't get. Okay, that's what I will say about it. Uh, well, yeah, well, talk more. So, so you know, it, it, it kind of stinks that 
what if we label these dogs pit bulls that don't have pit bull in them? Like, like, look at it this way. What if we, what if we label a dog as a pit bull that has no pit bull, then the dog gets adopted out, displays a quote unquote pit bull type of behavior, <clears throat> bites somebody, and then the bad reputation lives on when there wasn't even a pit bull present in this dog. Now, guys, I'm, I'm going to get this info out here right now. In case you didn't know it, in case you didn't know it, Every single dog has the potential to bite. All of them. I don't care the size or breed. Every single dog on this planet has the potential to bite. Do you know why? Because they're dogs. They're predators at the end of the day, guys. So, unfortunately, whether you want to recognize this, admit this, and realize it or not, every single dog has the potential to bite somebody. Labeled pit bull or not. But unfortunately, when we mis mislabel a dog and then they go out and cause harm to somebody, it only hurts the reputation even more. Okay. So again, we can't just really go around looking at a dog and labeling them as as this or that. I mean, it's it's fascinating, really, when you think about it. So, you know, you, it, it goes to show that it's important to understand that a dog first is a dog, guys. It's a dog first, okay? Breed is further down the line because all these dogs, at the end of the day, they're all related, right? Every domesticated dog is related on this planet. So, okay, so moving on, moving on. Let's let's get to talking about my puppy, Riker. Yes, I am excited to share this with you guys. Oh, this is gonna be great. Okay, so when we adopted Riker, he was labeled a lab hound mix. But is he? <laughs> now, if you haven't checked out my Instagram, um, you know, either either you can go either one, guys, David Paws, at David Paws on Instagram or at Speak a Dogcast, two different uh, Instagram feeds I have there. But I put the I put the picture up of Riker on both of them and the question presented of what do you think Riker is? I asked everybody out there, you know, I got a lot of comments here and there on Facebook, on Instagram um, of what they thought Riker was. Now, a lot of guesses, and then those guesses, we had Lab, there was Lab thrown in there, some Shepherd, some Doberman. Now, the most common breed that we had guessed was the Rottweiler. Now, if you haven't seen a picture of, of Riker, go check it out, because he does. He has that black and brown coloration. Now, he didn't quite have the face of a Rottweiler, that's why I kind of kept saying, like, I know that black and blonde, but, but the brown and black coloration like that, that looks like a, quote, like, looks like a Rottweiler, it's way more common of a coloration pattern than you think. There's quite a few different breeds uh, that not only genetically have that, that marker, um, but display it as well. So, you know, it, it, it's, a, again, it's amazing how visually, you know, we let our own experiences with breeds and what we've seen visually with breeds kind of cloud our judgment. And you can't help it. I mean, you can't, if you look at him, he, he, does, he looks kind of like a Rottweiler. And his paws are really big. And even the way he kind of played as a young puppy looked almost a little uh, Rottweiler in the way he walked. So, you know, you could kind of, you could easily go there, right? But what is Riker really? What is in his DNA? Ready for the big reveal? <laughs> what is Commander Riker? I'm going to start by saying this. Nobody guessed any of the correct breeds. Not only that, Riker has no lab, no retriever, and no hound present. 
How cool is that? <laughs> this was crazy to me, guys. This was this was really this was a lot of fun, and I really recommend doing these DNA tests if you haven't, uh, and if you don't know what your dog is, because this stuff is cool. So, what is Riker? You ready for it? <laughs> All right, here it is. Here's the big reveal. Riker. Riker is thirty nine point one percent American Pit Bull Terrier. 12.8% Australian cattle dog, 12.2% Siberian husky, and 10.9% boxer. Wait, we've got more. 8.1% collie and 16.9% super mutt. All right? I mean, crazy. <laughs> crazy. Go take a look at the picture of him. I mean, really, guys, it, would you have guessed many of these? Now, I had guessed boxer. I had guessed there might have been some boxer in there from the way he played. He played just like a boxer with the way he used his paws. Now, it's not to say, look, a lot of dogs use their paws, but I kind of had this feeling that there was some boxer in there, and that's the only thing that I, the only breed, the only breed that I guessed correctly. And I'll admit, I'm by no means am I the breed expert on visually assessing a dog, because quite frankly, nobody is. That's what this has proven, and that's what other studies prove as well. All right, so Riker is majority, 39.1% uh, American Pitbull Terrier. How about that? Right there. There it is. That again, he was labeled a lab hound mix. And here is this dog with majority of his genetic markers as an American Pitbull Terrier. He is the sweetest boy. He has been an amazing dog. Um, guys, I see a lot of dogs. I work with a lot of puppies, a lot of dogs, and I see different temperaments. And we got very lucky with Riker. He's an incredible dog so far. Uh, we're at what, uh, six, seven months? Oh my goodness, I'm losing track of time myself. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> but how crazy is that? How crazy is that? Pitbull Terrier, Australian Cattle Dog, Siberian Husky, Boxer, Collie, and Super Mutt. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start talking with that super mutt. What does super mutt mean? Um, you know, now look, I'll tell you, I used a company called Embark, okay? E-M-B-A-R-K, no endorsement. I'm not getting anything from them, nothing like that. I bought this online, you know, I paid for it uh, just as anybody else. So I have, I have no ties to this company whatsoever other than the fact that we use them to check the DNA results. And, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, I really should just kind of read this to you. It's the best way to do it. So, super mutt. Now, they say what the super mutt is, is, um, the, you know, some dogs will descend themselves from mixed breeds, right? So, these other dogs can give small contributions to the ancestry of your dog, so small that they become unrecognizable, really, as a particular breed. And so, they were called, they kind of call this unresolved portion a super mutt, right? <laughs> so, it goes to show that Riker really is a mutt and a half, you know. And now the cool thing is they can they can kind of tell you the likely breeds that contributed to the super mutt. And again, this isn't definite. This is kind of a guess and sort of extrapolation. Great Pyrenees, Bulldog, and the Lakeland Terrier. I mean, he's all over the place. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. So they can give you everything down here. I mean, the genetic break 
breakdown, uh, you know, I mean, more than you could even, more than you or I will even understand, right? By no means am I a scientist on this kind of stuff. My my expertise is the psychology side. Um, but really neat, really neat. And it can show you the family tree. So we can actually look at Riker's family tree and see his parents and see that on one side, one of his parents was a mixed breed. And then that mixed breed, his grandparents on that side, it was an Australian cattle dog, Siberian husky mix and a collie mix, right? On the other side, his other parent was an American pit bull terrier mix, okay? And then his two grandparents from there were an American pit bull terrier and an American pit uh, pit bull terrier boxer mix. There's with the boxer. We can start going even further down to the great grandparents. On the other side, we have the Australian cattle dog, Siberian husky, then a collie mix and a mixed dog. Grandparents side back on the pit bull side, American pit bull terrier, American pit bull terrier. Okay. Then the other two grandparents, American pit bull terrier and boxer again, full, uh, full blood of box. So, I mean, this is just incredible to see the family tree. It's a lot of fun. It's so neat to watch this breakdown uh, and see what he is. Really cool. Really cool. You can click over to the relatives. I can actually see different other dogs from, I mean, all around the country that have also done a DNA test. And the top, the, the, the dog that matches closest with Riker they share 29% of their DNA markers. I mean, it's just so cool. 29%, and this dog is 22.9% Siberian Husky. He's another mixed breed, but uh, really neat, really neat. And I mean, it just goes down the list. So the next dog down is 28% shared DNA, 18% shared DNA, 8.5, 8.3. And there's a lot in the eight range, and it just keeps going. Um, so really cool. Now, we also talked about that health side of it, guys. The, the health benefits of being able to look at this stuff. I mean, obviously we know it's just like with ourselves. If you know your, your uh, family history and health history and genetics and what to look for, it can help you get ahead of health problems. And it's no different with your dog. Now, luckily, um, Riker, he's actually a very healthy pup. They, they determined he's going to be very healthy. The only thing that we potentially have to worry about, but even then they, they don't think it'll be a problem, collie eye. Yeah, collie eye anomaly. Um, it's it's an issue that is very common among collie dogs. Uh, but again, luckily, they don't really think it's going to be an issue. There was, I think, 24 different uh, markers that potentially could have been health issues for him. And luckily, only one of them is maybe an issue. And even then, it is so improbable. Um, interesting note, guys. And we're going we're gonna to kind of talk about this for just a second. Purebred dogs versus a mixed breed, Right. People kind of forget that in order to create purebred dogs, I mean, even if this was 200 years ago that this dog was created or even longer, in order to create purebred dogs, a purebred dog, there had to be some inbreeding at some point. And unfortunately, because of the way that we bred dogs over the years, this is why our dogs get health issues because they were inbred and bred selectively for certain traits, certain aspects. And it created a lot of the health issues that we see in purebred dogs. Interestingly enough, the more diverse their genetic makeup is, as you know, we all know, the more uh, di uh, diverse a genetic makeup is, the healthier the dog is going to be. You know, my dog who just passed away at the beginning of March, Miss Penny Lane, she was a half lab, half Great Dane. Now let's talk about that a second. Great Danes live to be usually seven to nine years old. Lab's life expectancy is 10 to 12 years old. Penny lived to be 12 and a half. 12 and a half. And you know something? Really the worst 
health problems that we had with her were two ACL surgeries, uh, one on each knee. That was it. Penny was a healthy dog from the time she was a puppy all the way through. Now, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's kind of the proof is in the pudding, right? That a genetically diverse dog is most likely going to be healthier. And so therefore, a dog like Riker, and again, here's the proof in this DNA test telling me he's a healthy dog, <laughs> I mean, right? So anybody who's turned off, and the point I'm trying to get to here is anybody who's turned off by adopting a dog, you know, go check it out, guys. They tend to be healthier. Uh, I know that sounds a little crap, but it's, it's true. Having that genetic, it's not a definitive thing, right? It sort of, it depends upon how much of a mutt, what breeds it was mixed with. You know, if it's breed, bred with a lot of dogs that have healthy, you know, it, it all depends. It's not like this guaranteed thing. Um, but it is true. It is true that the more diverse that a genetic makeup is, then the healthier they, they can be, the, the less potential problems that you'll have. Um, so again, this this DNA test really allowed us to see that, which is just so fun. Um, so again, you know, it's 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 incredible the depth you can go in. I mean, you could probably sit. I could. I and this is why I don't want to read everything to you because there's so much information on here. Uh, again, guys, embark. E M B A R K. No endorsement from them whatsoever. Just going to throw that out there again. <laughs> but check it out. Check, there's, and again, there's all, all different kinds of home DNA kits you guys can check out. But it's really fascinating. You can even get in, get down to the pigment intensity of their fur and where they're more likely to have it because of their genetic makeup. Uh, coat color modifiers. Here's all kinds of information on that. Other coat traits. Body size, body features, all about the tail length, the muzzle length, hind dew claws, uh, unlikely to have hind dew claws, right? Because of his genetic makeup. I mean, the little things like that. It's so cool. I'm a dog nerd. I'm an animal nerd. <laughs> so this stuff is fascinating to me. And if you're an animal nerd and you're a dog nerd too, I highly suggest doing a DNA test for your dog. Not only is it a ton of fun, not only do you get to see where your dog came from, look at their family tree, see relatives out there. But it also can play such an important part to keeping your dog healthy and making sure you're getting ahead of any potential issues that could come up down the road. Um, so this has just been, it's been a really good time. I'm so excited that I got to share this with everybody um, and, and and show you all what he is. I mean, again, so I'm just, I just have to repeat it again. Go check out my Instagram. Go look at a picture of my dog Riker because Rottweiler, Lab, Shepherd, all these different breeds that were thrown out and not one of them was crept. Lab, Hound is what he was labeled. And again, he's 39.1% American Pitbull Terrier, 12.8% Australian Cattle Dog, 12.2% Siberian Husky, you would never guess that in a million years, 10.9% Boxer, 8.1% Collie, and that 16.9% Supermutt, which most likely, potentially, maybe, <laughs> has some great Pyrenees, Bulldog and Lakeland Terrier mixed in there. Crazy, guys. And there's definitely, with that super mutt, 16.9, there's probably even more going on that we, we, we can't see, right? So, fascinating stuff. Too cool, too fun. I, go check out your own dog's DNA. You know, it's just another way to really get closer to your dog, get to know them even more, and again, the health benefits too. So, check out Embark DNA, do your own DNA test, and see what your dog is made of. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. 
Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's a segment on bully breeds. Now the term bully breeds, bully breeds sort of encompass um, quite a few different breeds. Okay, we can start by just with the American Pitbull Terrier, the American Staffordshire Terrier, the Bull Terrier, and the Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Uh, you could also throw an English Bulldog in there, right? All these bully, bully breeds. And I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't love the word bully. I don't. I, I, it's it's. It makes sense, and it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, bully in the human world connotates that they're a jerk, right? You're a bully. You're a jerk. It's not so much the case in the dog world, and I think that's why the word bully kind of bugs me, is it's just, it kind of has a different connotation of meaning in the human world. But the bully breeds um, in the dog world really just mean loyal, strong, tenacity. I mean, these are words that come to mind when you think of a bully breed. Is that a bad thing? Is that a bad trait? Well, if you don't look for those things in a dog, then yeah, I'd probably say those are an undesirable trait to you. <laughs> but that's with any dog breed, guys. Uh, you know, someone who who really is partial to, let's say, a Havanese. They're not going to be the person that's going to go out and get a German Shepherd the next day then, are they? No, most likely not. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, that's why dogs are amazing, because there are so many breeds, so many personalities, so many traits, so many things you can pick and choose from that dogs are not a one size fit all, fits all, right? And these bully breeds are especially true of that. Look, any any <sighs> terriers in general, right? You know, terriers, people call terriers terrors. <laughs> so when you see that word terrier on there, terriers mean this is not going to act like a shih tzu. <laughs> This is not going to act like a greyhound. This is not going to act like a Great Dane because it has the word terror. So when you guys go and you adopt or buy a dog, you have to know what you're getting into, right? And so to me, there's nothing wrong with these bully breeds. And a lot of these rumors and, 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 and bad reputations that get associated with them are because of human beings. Uh, maybe a lack of understanding, maybe a lack of education, probably a combination of the two, and you get bad results, right? So bully breeds, I don't think they're a bad thing. You know, there's a lot of rescues out there who specialize now in bully breeds because they know that there is a certain owner that it takes uh, most of the time to have a, to, to own a breed like that, right? So it's, it's becoming kind of its own thing in a way, these, these bully breeds, this bully world, this bully culture. And in a way, it's good, I think, because I think it brings more awareness and more understanding and more education, right? And that leads to less of these dogs ending up in the hands that they shouldn't. 
Now let's have a little, little, little talk before we move on, guys. I've said it before. I'm gonna say it again. Every dog on this planet has the potential to bite somebody. Yes, every dog on this planet, believe it or not, has the potential to bite. Look, every animal, animals in general, most every animal has the potential to bite somebody because they're animals. You know, human beings have the potential to cause harm to somebody because we're animals. I mean, we're predators when you think about it. So dogs do have that potential, but it doesn't necessarily mean they will. Okay, so I'm not trying to scare you and go, oh, every dog's going to bite you. No, no, that's not the case. But they do have the potential for it. Okay, it doesn't matter the size, the breed, the anything. Every dog at the end of the day has the potential to bite. Just as people have the potential to be good and bad, um, a dog has the potential to bite and not bite as well. So it doesn't really matter that it's a bully breed or a this or a that. Every dog can do the wrong thing. And it's important that we understand that it's really people <laughs> more than anything that are the problem. Is that to say there aren't dogs with some very extreme issues that maybe maybe just aren't the easiest to fix? Yeah, yeah, that, that stuff does exist. But what I'm trying to say, guys, is dogs are a responsibility and dogs have the potential to cause harm. And if you take responsibility, you do the right thing, you train them, you provide structure, you do you are taking the chances of your dog biting down tremendously. But if you don't do those things, if you don't take responsibility, well, unfortunately, it can go the other direction. Now, what I find a lot of times with these bully breeds is that unfortunately, people get them that maybe shouldn't. And that's where the issues arise. And unfortunately, these breeds like this, a bully breed, a terrier even, guys, think about just terriers in general. I don't care if it's a uh, West Highland Terrier or an American Pit Bull Terrier. Terriers are terriers and they act like terriers, don't they? <laughs> and if you don't like the traits that terriers have, you probably shouldn't get one. And it's no different with a bully breed. It's no different with a shepherd. It's no different with a Siberian Husky. If you don't like the traits that come along with these breeds, don't get them. Do your research. Okay, so bully breeds get a bad rap because of people who adopt them and shouldn't. People who get these dogs and shouldn't. All right. Um, so is that to say that, you know, oh, well, David, I've read this study that says pit bulls bite people more often. And there was this one study done that said between what, I think it was 1979 and 1998 that pit bulls accounted, well, it wasn't just pit bulls. If you read the study accounted for 60% of deaths and dog bites about, well, I could also argue that in 1978, 1979, great Danes were way at the top of the list of dog fatality bites. Everybody going to sit here and tell me the quote unquote gentle giants of great Danes. That's not true. They, they don't do that. Because at the end of the day, guys, every dog has the potential to bite. Now, that study that I'm referring to actually ends up coming to the conclusion that, well, it kind of depends on the way you look at the study. And some people are more likely to report bites if it's a pit bull type dog versus if it's not. And those things do come into play and they have truth in them, don't they? 
That study has been used and misused more than any other study on dog bites I've seen, by the way, throwing that one out there. And even the own study comes to the conclusion that you cannot use their own study alone to say that pit bulls are more, or bully breeds are more responsible for more fatality, uh, fatalities in dog bites than others. But once the cat's out of the bag, meow, cat, dog podcast, haha. <laughs> once the cat's out of the bag, guys, it's hard to put that information, misinformation back in, isn't it? Again, I'm not saying a pit bull and, and American Staffordshire Terrier, I'm not saying these dogs aren't powerful breeds. I'm not saying these dogs uh, maybe don't have more of a potential to bite. But could I argue that they have more of a potential to bite because people don't take responsibility for them? Mm, I bet you I could argue that one too. <laughs> okay, so this is why we had to have this little chat today is I, I don't I don't like stereotypes. Okay, we don't like stereotypes for people. We don't, right? We don't like that. So why do we like it for dogs? Why are we okay with stereotyping dogs? And the bully breeds, I think, get the brunt into that lately. They really do. Um, you know, as we learned in the last segment, uh, and this is why I put them in this order today, because I kind of wanted to talk about this. As we learned in my last segment today, guys, Riker, my own puppy, he's, he's part pit bull. <laughs> Nobody would have ever guessed or labeled it because of his coloration, because of his tail, because he's mixed with so many other things as well. Uh, it would be hard to come to that conclusion. You know, let's say he's, he's not over 50% pit bull, he's about 40%. Um, but he's a phenomenal dog. It's a sweetheart. Could his behavior go in a different direction had I not provided some structure, rules, boundaries, and discipline? Absolutely. You know why? Because every dog has the potential to go the right way or the wrong way. I believe that about human beings too. I think every animal on this planet has the potential to be uh, a, a, a contributor or not. You know? So I just kind of wanted to touch on this that it's, it's, it's dangerous to group dogs into stereotypes. Traits, breed traits, absolutely. Breed traits are a thing for sure, but they're not a stereotype, okay? So the next time you're in the shelter and you know you're, you're, you see that bully breed and you think it's not for you, maybe you're right. Let's start there. Maybe you're right. <laughs> when you go and you see that gorgeous looking German Shepherd mix and you go, oh my God, it's a beautiful dog. I've always wanted to own one of those. You can ask yourself, do I run? Am I going to give this dog a job? Am I going to be able to give it enough stimulation? Am I going to put up with the shedding, right? All these things people don't think about. So I implore you to do your research because they can be phenomenal dogs, uh, terriers, bully breeds, even, even get into the shepherds, all, all those working more intense dogs. If you And that's, that's what I think it is. That's more what I think it is, guys. It's the intensity of a breed. And intensity is not a bad thing, it's a misunderstood thing. And if you don't channel that intensity correctly by providing structure, rules, and boundaries, you get a bad result. You get a bad result. And what, wouldn't you know it, it's no different with human beings. We're predators, and it's no different with us. When you don't give a person, a child, <laughs> rules, structure, boundaries, and discipline, what happens? They don't turn into a very good contributing member of society, do they? And it's no different with your dogs. So... If you want to get a bully breed, I'm all for it if you know what you're getting into. If you want to go get, again, I'm mean, not to get off, but the German Shepherds, the the uh, Belgian Malinois, the, the uh, Siberian Huskies, the Dogo Argentinos, the all these breeds that are popping up where people go, oh, it's gorgeous, I've always wanted one. But do you, do you have what it takes to give that dog what it needs so it's fulfilled and it's happy in its life? 
right? So nothing against bully breeds. I think they're phenomenal dogs. They make amazing dogs. They, they're versatile. They can do so many different things. Um, but know what you're getting into. Be aware of what that means. And let's not let stereotypes get in the way of just how amazing some of these dogs truly are. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the American Pitbull Terrier. Now, the first thing to note is the American Pitbull Terrier is not recognized by the AKC. It is recognized, however, by the UKC, the United Kennel Club in England, and the American Dog Breeders Association. But no, they may not have that AKC, uh, AKC grouping, but you know what, guys, it's in their name, right? They're a terrier, so they would be in the terrier group. And the name Pitbull is oftentimes used to encompass a wide spectrum of bully breeds. However, you know, dedicated and determined breeders believe that this breed is the only breed that should actually be uh, using the term Pitbull correctly. Now, the American Pitbull Terrier is known to be strong, loyal, and an affectionate dog, while the origins of the Pitbull are rooted in bull baiting and blood sports, you know what? There's many breeds out there that also share the same history. This breed really is a versatile dog. They can excel at agility, coursing, obedience, and are even being used as police dogs and service dogs. The breed really just needs to be given a job to do, you know, something to do. They work and they work hard. A lot of these traits of a bully breed... They're very misunderstood, and unfortunately, these traits can oftentimes attract the wrong owner. This dog is not for the first-time owner and needs consistent and firm training from the start. However, given the proper amount of training and stimulation, these dogs can make an excellent family companion. Now, when it comes to their health, the pit bulls do tend to be a little more susceptible to hip dysplasia than your average dog. They can also be prone to luxating patellas. Skin allergies also be, uh, tend to be common among them, and they're also potentially going to have thyroid issues and heart problems as well. But kept in good health, they can live from 12 to 15 years. Now, the origin of the pit bull can be traced back to England, where now two extinct breeds, the Old English Terriers and Old English Bulldogs, were crossed to create a type of dog that became known as the Bull and Terrier. These dogs were originally bred for blood sports such as bull baiting and bear baiting, and when blood sports became illegal in England in 1835, the dogs were unfortunately then used to be pit against each other for dog fighting. Now, while aggression tendencies toward dogs, they were sometimes selectively bred, aggression toward humans was not a trait really seen in the breed. In the mid-1800s, the breed was brought over to America, and unfortunately so was the practice of dog fighting. However, over the years, the reputation of the pit bull evolved. People saw the desirable traits in the breed such as being protective over their family, affectionate with children, and an unwillingness to back down in the face of danger. Just as with many breeds with a history of blood sports and aggression, these traits are now being bred out. However, there is still a lot of irresponsible ownership when it comes to pit bulls, and, well, that bad reputation follows them around. Look, guys, as I always say, though, there's a lot of dog breeds out there that most people shouldn't have. Okay, pit bull, German shepherd, Rottweilers even, uh, even as they've been bred down. A dog is a responsibility and it takes time, dedication, and consistent training to create a great dog no matter what the breed is. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the most common and most preventable health issue in dogs? Obesity. Yes, just like in humans, obesity in dogs can lead to some serious health issues. 
The best way to avoid these issues is by keeping your dog fit by feeding a proper diet, not feeding them human food, and of course, getting out there and walking your dog. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Cynthia from Houston, Texas. Cynthia asks, does a wagging tail mean a happy dog? Well, yes and no. Uh, A wagging tail can mean a happy dog, but quite frankly, a wagging tail can mean a plethora of different things. Uh, Look, I've had a dog who's been wagging his tail, and two seconds later, he's coming to bite me. Um, The tail really can communicate a wide variety of things, and to me, it's not the tail wagging, it's how the tail is wagging. The rest of the body language, how does the facial expressions look, the ears, uh, look at the look at the spine, is there fur standing up? I mean, I've seen a dog where, look, what I, what I probably should do, and I mean, I probably should do, what I, what I maybe could do if I could set this up well enough, is wouldn't it be cool if we could get a video shot of just a dog's butt? <laughs> and what I mean is like, take a, take a shot from above and only be able to see the dog's rear end and the wagging. And no audio, no nothing. And just show people the wagging tails and ask them, you know, give them maybe seven or eight different uh, feelings or emotions, if you will. Happiness, anger, frustration, sadness, scared, I don't know. Coming up with a, you know, if, if, we, if we gave them that and showed them the video and only showed them the wagging tail, I bet you anything, I bet you anything, if you had 10 different people do it, you're going to get 10 different answers. I bet it would be rare. It would be rare that more than two of those people would give you the exact same answer for what that wagging tail represents. Okay, So my point here is you can't just concentrate on a wagging tail and know what a dog is. First of all, we don't really know what a dog is feeling. I've been over this before. Until I can ask a dog what they're feeling, I don't really know 100%. We're not going to get into that philosophical debate today. But needless to say, no. No, Cynthia, a wagging tail does not necessarily mean a happy dog. It can but it doesn't necessarily mean when I look at a dog and I'm trying to judge, you know, um, what it's, what it's intent is, <laughs> I have to start at the tip of the nose and go all the way down to the tip of the tail. I look at their body language as a whole in what it's telling me and not just one piece of it, like the tail. Next question. This comes from Jack from Winter Springs, Florida. Jack says, my dog is a male lab and about two years old. I have not had him neutered, and I'm worried about taking his manhood away. (laughs) Are there any good reasons to get him fixed? Jack, there are many good reasons to get your dog fixed. I highly, 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 highly recommend that you get your dog fixed. Look, to me, it's more like there's only one reason. There's only one reason, excuse me, two reasons. (laughs) There's only two reasons out there that you should be keeping your dog intact, male or female. I don't care which. There's only two reasons. Number one, you're showing your dog. If you're showing your dog, they have to be kept intact, okay? Not many people out there are showing their dogs. That's just the reality of it. So, boom, there's the answer. Number two, uh, the other reason or the other reason that you want to keep your dog intact is if you're going to be breeding. Now, as I've said before, guys, you, if you're listening to this, there's probably a 98, 99% chance you should not be breeding your dog. Only responsible breeders should be breeding dogs. There are way too many breeders out there. There are way too many dogs out there. So there's no reason, unless you are a professional, responsible, experienced, knowledgeable, educated breeder, you should not be breeding 
dogs. So unless you have one of those two reasons that you can fill, no, you, you, you need to get your dog spayed or neutered. Okay. Uh, so Jack, you need to get your dog neutered. Simple as that. Let's start here. If you walk into a dog park and a vast majority of those dogs are spayed and neutered and your dog walks in and it's not, it's intact. Just from a smell, a scent standpoint, your dog now sticks out like a sore thumb. Dogs are creatures of of habit and patterns. And so if the majority of dogs they come across are spayed and neutered, which most likely will be the case, and then all of a sudden here's this one dog that's not, from a chemical biological standpoint and scent standpoint, that can put a little friction within the pack. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is there are a myriad, and I don't even need to get into them, there are so many, a myriad of health issues, of health risks you are potentially taking by leaving your dog intact. Third thing, behavioral standpoint. I don't know about you, Jack, but I have human instinctual needs, as I would imagine vast majority of humans have out there. We all have instinctual needs that need to be fulfilled. Now, Jack, if I told you you had no way of fulfilling those instinctual needs, you're never allowed to relieve them, you're never allowed to do anything about it, I bet you're going to get a little frustrated, okay? Um, So my answer to this is always you should spay or neuter your dog just from the simple fact alone that it can be very frustrating to not be able to fulfill certain needs. And that lack of fulfillment can create frustration and frustration can create behavioral problems. Yes, you heard me correctly, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, keeping your dog intact and not spaying and neutering them can not only cause health issues, but severe behavioral issues as well. Mm -hmm. And look, my rule is I always try to eliminate biological factors first, okay? When it comes to behaviors, sometimes biology is what gets in the way. And if your dog is not spayed, if your dog is not neutered, I can't measure, I can't determine to what level biology is uh, getting in the way, right? But if I can eliminate that biological factor, if I can cut it off, (laughs) figuratively, literally, um, then it gives me the ability to know that biology is not playing that factor. But without that, it's sort of a big question mark at the end of the day because I can't ask, hey, are you are you sexually frustrated? I can't ask him that. So without eliminating that factor, I don't know if it's coming to play. So Jack, please get your dog neutered. Please, 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 uh, from the biological standpoint, uh, standpoint, from the behavioral standpoint, from the standpoint of other dogs interacting with your dog, I highly recommend you always spay and neuter your pets. <laughs> That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, be sure you do that right now. So excited that I got to share Riker's DNA results with you guys. I encourage you to go find your dog's DNA results and see what they're made of. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.